So, I hope you have your Bibles open uh, to Matthew and chapter 8. That's where we'll be this morning uh, for the morning's message. I, I've called it God with us. And uh, just in this time we are in as a country, uh, I'm trying to hopefully come up with some messages that might help you as you uh, uh, struggle with and deal with uh, some of the realities we're going through. I thought about it this morning. It's a little too late to change it, but uh, I, I thought we could call it what to do when you're in a boat in the middle of a storm, uh, But because uh, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, but I just would like to tell you that there was a time in Janice and I and my life, my wife and my life, uh, we were just going through a, a real difficult time. Uh, it, a lot of things were not going quite right, and we're, we're reading the scriptures every day, we're, we're looking to what God would say, and we're reading these different promises. And they seemed so wonderful, but yet they seemed like they weren't working for us. I don't know if you ever felt like that. You're trying to read the Bible, do the right thing, and yet it seems like nothing's really working. All these positive statements in scripture just didn't seem to apply to us. And so finally we asked the question, what is the one promise in the Bible you know 100% dead sure that it is real without any qualification. It's just real. You don't have to do anything to get that promise. It's just there. And where we were led was Hebrews 13, 5. And there he talks about us being content with what we have. Now, right now, we have the threat of a virus in our nation. Uh, you may have some other threats in your life. You may have economic threats because of this or uh, you might have had them before, and now it's even worse. You might have threats of a disease. You might have threats of relationships failing. You might not have a job or need a job or something at school. Uh, I don't know where you are, but here is one promise that you can take to the bank every day of the week, 24 hours a day, every day of the year, from now until you die, if you're a believer. You have to be a Christian. But it's Hebrews 13, 5, where he says, uh, keep your life... Uh, Free from the love of money and be content with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's no qualification on that. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's promised to be with you. The Bible goes on in Hebrews to say, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In the end of the book of Matthew, just before Jesus left, he gave us the great commission told us to go, and as a church, as a believer, as a group of believers, as the body of Christ, as we go, he said, and I will always be with you, even to the end of the age, even till all things come to an end. And so this promise is always true if you're a believer, God is with you. Now, I don't mean believer, I, I use that term, that's a Christian term, that means I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may believe in God. The Bible says in James, good job. The devils believe there's a God, and they tremble. That doesn't get you much. When I say a believer, we believe all the promises of God, that if we cry out to him, he will answer us, that if we ask him to come into our life, take over our life, and lead us for the rest of our life, he will do that. We call that in, in churches and amongst Christians, we call that being saved. Saved from what? Saved from being lost, saved from having a destiny of hell. We are born lost. We are born needing a Savior. And when we come to the realization of that, and we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, to come in and be our Lord, our boss, the, the captain of our life, and we 
begin to follow him, that means we believe his promises. So we are believers. And so the strongest statement in the Bible, by the way, is this one. It's God's strongest promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. You say, well, how can you say that's the strongest promise? Well, I'm not very smart. I do have to get some water. I'm not very smart, but a smart man once told me, because he, he knew these kinds of things, that in the language in which the Bible was written, the, the language of Greek in the New Testament, that this promise has five modifiers in it. Now, in English, if you combine two modifiers that are the same, like, uh, I am never not going, that means I am going, <laughs> okay? It, it, they cancel each other out. But not in the Greek language, it magnifies it, it multi the multiplication makes it even stronger, and no verse in the Bible has more modifiers than this short phrase, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we could translate straight into English, it will, I will not, never, ever, never leave you, nor will I ever, ever forsake you. God wanted to make sure that we understood that no matter where you are, there he is. That wherever you go, God goes with you. And so we want to go where God takes us. We want to go with God wherever we go. And so if, if you'll look with me in Matthew 8, beginning in verse uh, 23, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? The first thing I would have you consider if you find yourself in this boat uh, is that you need to go where Jesus is going. You know, you may not want to be in a boat in a storm. Somebody told me once that the only reason they could stand the stink inside the ark was because of the storm outside of the ark. That, that sometimes we're thrown together in a bad situation, and maybe some of you feel that way right now, being quarantined with some folks. That, uh, that if it wasn't for that out there, you couldn't stand to be in where you are. But listen, we need to go where Jesus is going. The reason I bring that up is the very first phrase there. It says that when Jesus got into the boat, it says, and the disciples followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds very great to me. That sounds super. Man, they get to go where Jesus went. Many times people say, oh, I wish I'd have been alive in the times of Jesus. So many times when we look back on things like that and say, man, I wish I'd have been there, we, we fail to forget we may not have had this privilege. We may not have been one of the disciples. We may not have ever known he was here. But assuming that, assuming we knew him and we were there, it would be so great to get to hang out with Jesus, just to always be with him wherever he went. That sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? These disciples got in the boat and followed him. You see, it doesn't matter where Christ is going. We ought to want to go with him wherever he's going. To, to, to go with him is the best thing you can do. So no matter what your circumstances are, forget that. Look to God. And really, that's the theme through this whole story. You have to keep your eyes focused on God because he is in the boat with you. I told you he would be. And so it doesn't matter where he's going. You, you ought to just go with him. But it's very subtle, but I want you to understand something. It's not that subtle once you see it. Sometimes where Jesus is going, 
involves a storm. Jesus knew a storm was coming. I mean, I, I think he did. I, I think he understood that. Maybe the disciples didn't catch it. It's like, hey, he got in the boat. Let's go. He must be going somewhere. He got in the boat, and they take off across that Sea of Galilee. And as they're going across, this storm came up. Well, now, they didn't expect that. I meet many a crusader who becomes a quitter right there. Man, they're ready to go with God until times get tough, and then they fall out on him. Well, storms are a part of life. And, and the main reason they're a part of life is because we are fallen. Mankind is fallen. You know the story in the Garden of Eden. There's Adam and Eve in a perfect situation, perfect circumstances. They only had one rule, and it was just not to do something, and they did it anyway. And because of Adam's sin, sin passed upon all who would be born after him. And because of that fall, that initial rebellion against God, and I don't know about you, but I've rebelled against God some myself. I can't blame it all on Adam. I've done some sin in myself. Well, because of that, storms become a part of our life. Storms are a part of our life. If you think about it, because of the flood, the way the earth works is different than when God first created the world. It, it works differently now. It, only God could make a world that could live in two different conditions. But the conditions we have now are worse. There were no storms before the flood, but now they are just part of what we have. But I want you to think about the storms a different way than maybe you're used to. That, and it's this, that problems provide an opportunity. When there is upset, when there's upheaval, there are new realities that come into play, and there are new opportunities that you can follow, new, new things that you can do. In fact, if you haven't learned this yet, you need to learn this. Failure is how you learn. You don't learn by success, you learn through failure. And so to fail is to get excited because you're going to learn how not to fail in that particular thing. You're going to learn how to do it a little bit better. And so, as I look at this, though, there, there's something I don't understand. Because it says, this storm rises up, and the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, unless this word means something different, and I think it does, swamp means it's full of water. I mean, it is, it's being overtaken. The waves are crashing into the boat. And, and you say, well, why is that hard to understand? Well, that part's not hard to understand. This is kind of a big canoe kind of a boat. It's not, it's not like a boat with decks and it's filling up with water. It's just a big open boat and it's filling up with water. Here's the surprising part. But he was asleep. Talking about Jesus. Now, I don't understand sleeping in a storm, but I certainly don't understand sleeping in a swamped boat. <laughs> because I don't think he had like an elevated bed in there. I don't know. Maybe there was a bench he could lay on. I, I don't know what it looked like. But, but I do know this, that... He was asleep with the rain coming down, with the waves coming over the sides, and he is just fast asleep. Now, humanly speaking, he's probably exhausted. And, and so we could understand that. But, but even if you're exhausted, if you were totally exhausted and you went home and you went to bed, and I could sneak into your house and I took a bucket of water and poured it on your head, I think you'd wake up no matter how tired you were. But not Jesus. Jesus is asleep. Why? Well, there's another reason. He wasn't worried. Jesus had no worry about this storm. Jesus is not worried. He was not then and he is not today. We, we, we think we need to worry about what's going to happen. Why? <laughs> my, my dad was, uh, was a kind of a man that uh, didn't worry a lot. 
And, and he told me one time that worry was a wasted emotion because you couldn't change it by worrying about it. If you could do something, do it. If you can't, don't do anything because there's nothing you can do anyway. And worry is just going to expend your, your energy without any results. Now, now, I would say the best thing you could do if you have something to worry about, because there are things to worry about, is don't worry but give them to God in prayer. In fact, in Philippians, it says, don't be anxious or worried about anything, but by everything, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. So, so there is, we can do that. We can give it to God. We can give these circumstances to God, and we can trust Him for them. And that is the greatest thing we can do. But if there's practical things you can do, like, you know, wash your hands, don't get too close to people, those things that we're doing in the midst of this virus. So, so there are things we can do, but at the end of the day, there's only thing we can do is leave it to God and not worry about it. Jesus wasn't worried because he knew what God's plan for his life was and that he would not die before that plan was fulfilled. God has a plan for you if you're a believer. He has a life for you to live, and if you know what that life is, then it, it kind of cuts out on the worry a little bit. And from that, I want you to catch this. So Jesus is asleep, and it says next that they woke him up saying, Savior, we are perishing. We're dying. Now, that's a frantic, panic prayer. Were they dying? No, they were wet. <laughs> you know, they saw death coming. They were afraid death was coming. But nobody was sinking in the water. Nobody was underwater, couldn't breathe. Nobody needed to be pulled out of the water. They are just scared. I, I, I wrote down frantic panic praying. I, I heard this phrase. I've kind of adapted it. It's panic kills. Uh, whenever you get panic, you can't think straight. Fear is a, is a response, and it's a natural response to the human being, but it's a response that needs to be mastered. It, sometimes you can't help how you feel, but when your feelings get involved and you act on your feelings, many times you make a wrong decision. You need to be able to kind of step back from feelings and look at facts and act according to facts. We'll see what that fact was here, why they shouldn't have been concerned. And it was this. Jesus was in the boat with them. Remember the title of the sermon, God with us. God is with us. That's his, Jesus' very name is Emmanuel, God with us. And then before he left, he said he was sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. And he said, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. So it's a promise that's the strongest promise in the Bible. We know God is with us in the midst of a virus, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the fear of losing our job or losing our money or, or not having enough food or whatever it might be. He's with us. You know, I'm preaching mainly to an American audience here. We are the only country well enough and rich enough and have been so for so long that our worries don't really rise to the level of real needs. And suddenly, with the hint of that, we all panic. Why? Because we're so used to not worrying at all about some of the basics of life. But here's the question when we look at this storm. This is, again, this isn't original with me, but I sure like this statement. How big of a storm does it take to sink a boat that God is riding in? I mean, really. If Jesus is in the boat, why should they be worried? If God is with them, if the boat sinks, it sank with God in it, and I'm with God, so we're good, right? Because anywhere God goes, David said in the Psalms, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. 
God is everywhere. There's no place you can go to get out of his presence. And that's true for everybody. But for the believer, we become aware of his presence. We can call to him. And even if he doesn't answer in a practical way, I mean, we've been encouraged to pray that God would spare us from this virus. But maybe God will let you have the virus. But here's a promise. His presence will be so strong with you. He'll give you a greater sense of his presence and his help in a time of need when you call on him. Many times God answers it practically and he protects us. He takes care of us. In fact, I just personally think when I get to heaven, I'm going to realize how many things he kept me from getting into, not only the ones he saved me out of. I'm, I'm grateful for both, but I'm just unaware of some of them. And in the midst of knowing that there's a danger out there, sometimes we can let our worry take control instead of our faith in God taking control and our understanding that he is with us. Because Jesus controlled the weather. He gets up and he says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he arose, rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. Again, I'm not this smart, but... I understand that when he did that, I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this story, I used to think that, you know, it's winds blowing, the waves are crashing. I, I grew up on the coast. I've seen this kind of hurricanes coming in on shore, and, 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 and as it passes, you know, things just slowly die down. And maybe that's how he thought. He got up, told it to calm down, and it just slowly calmed down. But the sense of the way the Bible was written is when he spoke, bam, it was just calm. There was no delay. It wasn't like the wind slowly slowed down, the waves slowly got smaller. It's just it was wind and waves and water and whoop. In a moment's time, it was absolute calm. And notice the apostles' astounding reaction. It says they marveled, saying, What sort of a man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, Jesus had done some stuff to really catch people's attention that they couldn't quite conceive of. But when we go back to Genesis and God said to multiply, subdue the earth, to, to have these, you know, we have control over animals, we can tame animals, we can do a lot. But no man has ever been able to figure out how to stop a hurricane or even a tropical storm or even a gale force wind. We never quite have been able to do that. Now, we can use some of the energy coming out of that, but we can't control it. And so they marvel that there's a man who can control the wind and the waves. That's just never happened before in history. And so they go from frantic praying, Jesus gets up and gives them a loving rebuke, and then shows that he is Lord of even the wind and the waves. Let me tell you, no man is going to invent something that God can't control. No man is ever going to come up with something God can't take care of. He had total control. And these astounded disciples, the, the, the solving of their problem leads them to awe and worship. As we go through these things, as we're looking at these things, we need to understand that this ought to lead us to worship, that God is in control. And we don't have to, we don't have to be so worried. And you ought to let your problems lead you to the worship of God. And to, as you surrender control to Him, as you see Him working in your life and through your life and for you in your life, that God is in control and you worship Him and you exalt Him and you stand in awe of Him. I, I, I said that my wife and I were going through a hard time and some of the promises in the Bible seemed 
so far-fetched and that they weren't for us. But let me just tell you, years later, all those promises come true. All the things that God said He would do, He has done. And we are grateful and we worship Him. But we worship Him not because of what He did and solving our problems, but because of who He is. You see, we don't worship God for what He can give to us because that's not the kind of love He gave to us. He loved us when we were unlovely. It says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, He loved us and gave Himself for us. And He puts that kind of love in our heart and our life for Him and for other people. It's called an unconditional love. It means there's nothing you have to do for God to love you. He just loves you. If you're the worst person in the world, the best person in the world, God loves you, and He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know Him. And if you do know Him, He wants you to be involved in that relationship enough that you know who God is and what He's all about. And so these astounded disciples are led to worship. So what, what can you do about your problems? Probably not a lot. Take precautions, do all those things, and, and you know maybe that'll be enough, and we pray that it is. But I would say, first of all, this week, you ought to say, you know what, I want to go where Jesus goes. And, and I'll promise you this, there, there are sick people that Jesus is in their presence. God may call you to minister to someone sick. Now, I wouldn't recommend just going out there and finding somebody just because they're sick and doing that. But you may have to get around somebody that is sick and doesn't even know it. You know, if God is to minister to that person, then that might be what you need to do. You need to go where Jesus goes, and Jesus is there. So if you have an opportunity, minister to people around you. And then, secondly, when storms do arise, remember that the Holy God is with you, and He's greater than the storm that is around you. The God who is with you is greater than the storm around you. There's a, another verse in the Bible that says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And it's talking about Satan himself, but the circumstances of the world and the things of the world and everything that seems to come against us is not greater than the God who is with us. And he's always with us. This past week, having a little bit more time than usual, I, I cleaned out one of my desk uh, drawers and uh, I, 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 I tend to be kind of uh, messy sometimes and Every once in a while I get a fit and I clean it up, make it look better again. And I found a notebook that was uh, from 1982, and I, I can't do the math quick enough, but it was about 38 years ago, I think. Uh, it, it was a long time ago anyway. And, and in there, there was a chapel speaker, and I'd been taking notes. And he was talking about this very passage, and here's what he said about it. He said, the only thing more terrifying than the storm around us is the holy God who is in the boat with us. You see, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It is knowing God and knowing the terror of the Lord, how great and mighty and majestic He is, that humbles us and brings us to worship and to prayer. These disciples are in a boat. They panic. They're crying out to God. That's a prayer. Lord, we're in trouble. Save us. But God can get up and just calm that storm, or he may let, may let you ride through that storm and just come out the other side. I mean, Paul was in a storm, and his boat got torn up on the reefs, but nobody died. God protected them all. And I want you to focus more on the holy God with you than the terrifying storm outside. 
And may God help us to do just that. Would, would you join me in prayer? And then I want to give you a couple of announcements. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are with us. There's nowhere we can go where you are not. Anywhere we go, you are there. And if we know you, if we're a believer, not only are you there, but you are with us there. You are in us. You are walking with us. You're leading us and guiding us. And I just pray, God, that, to, that today, this week, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow, and that's you. That, that this script is written, and you've got it under control, and so we can rest. When it looks like you're asleep, you're not asleep, you're just not worried. Because he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. You're watching over us. You're always present with us. And we just ask, Lord, that we would think and realize that more than we realize that there may be a potential danger. And that we would trust you, Lord, not that we won't take precautions for that. You tell us not to be foolish, but to be wise, we, we should take precautions. But ultimately, Lord, our safety and security is in you, not in the things of this world. And so even as we take precautions, Lord, we do it out of love for those around us. Not that we don't want to get sick, we don't want to get anybody else sick. And the nature of this disease, as you know, is that for a long time we don't even know we have it and we can spread it to other people. And so, Lord, we don't want to hurt our neighbor. We don't want to hurt our loved ones at all. We don't want to give them sickness that might hurt them worse than it hurts us. And so as we take these precautions, may we do it not out of fear, but out of love. Love for those around us. Love for those we come in contact with. And may we do it trusting you, knowing that you're not really asleep in the boat. You, you, you got the situation under control. And that the promises of God, as many as they may be, are yes in you. Because, Jesus, we thank you. You died on that cross and rose from the dead after being buried three days to make every promise of God available to us. And we know this is the strongest one, that you are with us. And we may come to a place where that's the only one that we're going to be seeing at the moment. That God is with us. But, Lord, with Job we say, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So, Lord, we pray that, that we would have that kind of faith because we know where we're going when we die. And dying is not a, a fear for us, it's a blessing for us. And so, Lord, may in the midst of a storm, may we be the ones that are ministering to those around us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, knowing that you go with us and you empower us. Amen.